Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. The scripture reading tonight will come from John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 5, and then 14 as well. Will you listen for the word of the Lord? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is the highlight for many people. Coming to the Christmas Eve service, where we hear and sing familiar Christmas carols, where we see beautiful decorations. It's just, it's just, it's great, right? And it's, and then the, the climax is holding the candle at the end while we sing Silent Night. For a lot of people, this is, this is the special night of this season. And it kind of makes sense, you know, that we, we utilize light a lot during uh, our Christmas observance because, well, it's, it's the time, it's winter. I mean, you wouldn't know it today if you're outside, right? Yeah, it was crazy uh, warm. But it's, it's winter in terms of the light of the day, right? That, that it starts getting dark early, and so we have short days, long nights, and so this idea of light in the darkness, boy, that makes perfect sense at Christmas. And so we have lights on our houses. We have lights on our Christmas trees. Some people have lights on their Christmas sweaters. Wear a string of lights around their necks. That's right. Because light is important when it is so darkness, so dark, and it just makes sense to talk about Jesus in this time with light. Meanwhile, in the southern hemisphere, meanwhile, in the southern hemisphere, right, in the southern hemisphere, it's summer, right? It's summer. I mean, they still celebrate Christmas December 25th, but it's not the beginning of winter, it's the beginning of summer there. Well, you know, many Australians have a similar ancestral background to to many of us, uh, and and so they have some of the same traditions at at Christmas. I mean, they do uh, have Christmas trees that they decorate, and they use fake snow as part of their decorations. Yes, they eat some of the same traditional kinds of foods that you and I eat at Christmas, but there's some other things that are different about Australia. Um, I mean, surfing is kind of a big deal at Christmas. But some of their foods are a little bit different, too. There's one called uh, pavlova, and that is, um, it's, hard, it's kind of hard to tell on there, isn't it? It's basically meringue. It's meringue that's been baked, and you put fruit on top of it. That just sounds delicious, Right? Now, another food that is very, very common in Australia to eat at Christmas, on Christmas Day, are oysters. I know, kind of a, I kind of anticipated that, kind of a rumble across the room, like, eh. I mean, 
Oysters are fine, but on Christmas, it just doesn't seem quite right. Well, for that matter, really in Australia, seafood, just seafood is a big, big hit at Christmas. And of course, it's grilled outside because it's summer, right? So there's all kinds of seafood that they do uh, eat. There's uh, in Sydney, there's a Sydney fish market, and they have an event that, that, that happens right before December 25th, because, you know, if you're going to get fish, you want fresh fish, right? So it happens right before December 25th. There's a 36-hour period where people go to purchase their fish, and in that 36 hours, 100,000 people go to buy seafood, and they purchase 700 tons of seafood. 700 tons of seafood. Of that, 130 tons are shrimp, or prawns, as they like to call them. That's an enormous amount of seafood, right? So, it's just different in the southern hemisphere. What with all that sunlight and everything. We have long nights. So today, we, tonight, we're ending the series I've been doing through December uh, Christmas at home. We've been taking, uh, thinking of home in a variety of ways. One of those ways is thinking of houses, what types of houses there are. And if you took each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you took those four and you took what they said about the birth of Jesus or just the beginning of Jesus, what kind of house would that be? And so what we did, we, did, we started with Mark, because Mark is a, a very short uh, gospel for one thing, and Mark is just straight and to the point. He, matter of fact, he didn't even start with anything about Jesus as a young person. It starts with Jesus showing up as an adult man to John the baptizer, and he's baptized in the Jordan River and begins his ministry. That's where Mark starts. So Mark is a tiny house. All right, Mark's a tiny house, just the essentials. There's not going to be anything extra. We looked at uh, Matthew. Matthew has a very, very different approach than Mark. Matthew says, sure, we're going to talk about Jesus, but to do that, we have to go all the way back to Abraham. And he goes through this long genealogy, generation after generation, from, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 1, to get up to Jesus. This long list of saints and sinners that God has used to fulfill, to fulfill God's purposes through time. And so we imagine this generational kind of house, and this house that has all kinds of interesting stories, like a Victorian. Victorian architecture is just unique. Every, I'm, there's no cookie-cutter approach to Victorian-style houses, and Matthew goes back through all the generations. And then we talked about Luke last week. Luke is, you know, that's the feel-good one. That's the one we're most familiar with. It has all those endearing images in the Gospel of Luke. And we just imagine our ranch style, or really the style is less important. There's just, but there's decorations. It's the kind of place where it's, it's just beautiful, but it's not the designer beautiful where you feel like you can't touch anything. It's real. And, and more than that, it's the kind of home that if you, if you go in there, you just feel the love. I mean, truly, you realize that the, the people there delight in other people. And so we think of Luke in those ways with that very homey ranch-style house or something like that. So for the Gospel of John, John's house will be different yet. John's house will be one, there we go, big windows and lots of light. 
We think of, we think of lots of windows, of course, with natural light coming in. But when you read John's Gospel, imagine a house that sits outside of the city. There are no, there's no ambient light. There's no lights around. So when it gets dark, it gets dark. But man, you can see John's house because of the light that comes from within. That light illuminates your way in the darkness. That if you're not sure where to go or you're lost, well, man, you can sure find your way by following the light. And so we see uh, important things about Jesus in the Gospel of John in this first chapter. Let me just tick off a few things that we see that are important to us to see about the beginning of Jesus. The first thing we see is the beginning of Jesus is before the beginning. I mean, it's not just back to Abraham. It's past Adam and Eve. It's before that. The beginning of Jesus is before the beginning. That Jesus was in existence with God at the time of creation. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the first thing we learn is the beginning of Jesus is before the beginning. We learn that Jesus is a creating agent with God. Jesus was involved in creation. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Because it says God spoke creation, right? God said, let there be the word. The word was spoken, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You learn that Jesus promised life. Not just simply existence. Not just not just life after death, but a fullness of life. That if you follow the way of Jesus, you'll learn this life, this deeply meaningful contentment that is just joy-producing. This kind of life. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we learn that Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, even though John didn't really mention Bethlehem, his birth in Bethlehem was the emergence of God with us. His Jesus' birth would have been the emergence of God with us. It says the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know, in translation, some of you may know more than one language. And you know that sometimes when you're going to translate from one language to another, choices have to be made because... Well, there's not little, there's some choices about the decision, because there's some words that just don't quite translate. So a very, very literal translation of that verse would be, the word became flesh and pitched a tent among us. The word became flesh and pitched a tent among us. The emergence of God with us. So throughout John, he utilizes these themes of light and darkness, to contrast to the way of Jesus and that there are those who love the darkness more than they love light. Constant con- contrasts that are happening in uh, Nicodemus. When Nicodemus goes to visit Jesus at night, he wants to question Jesus. He's got, he wants deeper understanding. He goes at night. Lots of times through the Gospel of John, there are these times of light and darkness. I mean, light is necessary for life. It's necessary for life. You have to have light to have life. And so the first act of creation was, let there be light. 
But of course, light is also a metaphor. But the way God, Matthew, excuse me, <coughs> in Jesus, God's light, it brings new life. So the way Gospel of Matthew puts it is, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. No one, no one takes a, a, lights a lantern and then hides it under a bushel basket. No, you want everybody to see it. So, show the world your good works so that people can give God glory. You are the light of the world. The light of Christ radiating from within. So there's a great song that I love to listen to. Um, it's called The Calling called The Calling. It's by the band The Killers. Anybody know The Killers? It's a great band. Yeah, there's a few hands that have gone up. Oh, good. Killers is a great band. And don't worry, they're not as morbid as their name suggests. You know, they're not an evil group of people at all. Uh, but this song, The Calling. So, the, the, the song is about a young man who's going back home to try to set his dad straight. He needs to try to straighten out his father. And, and so the, line, the way the song goes, uh, he goes back home with a message for my old man and the last two chapters of Matthew in my hand. See, the father has made some really bad decisions in life, and he's left a lot of wreckage in relationships, and a lot of people have been really hurt. And so his son wants to go back and to help him to change his ways, help him to be a new person, a different person. So, let me tell you how the song was inspired. Their bassist, uh, Mark Stormer, uh, was taking an online history class. Yes, rock and roll band members do have lives outside of, you know, the band, right? They, he was doing an online history class. And they happened to be studying Italian art in the Baroque period, which would be the 16th, 17th centuries. And, and they were studying, in particular, a painting called The Calling of St. Matthew by Caravaggio, painted in about 1600. Well, we should have a, a, pic, a slide of that painting of St. Matthew. We may not. So, the, uh, so in the painting, Jesus is standing in a doorway. Inside, sitting at a table, are Matthew and some other people. Now, you remember Matthew from the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector. That, that means he was a, a Jewish man who had gone to work for the Roman government to collect the taxes from the Jewish people. And what they were notorious for, what they were known for, and the Rome said, this is fine, just we, you give us what we owe, you can charge hidden fees all you want to. And so tax collectors became wealthy. They became wealthy. They would go and, and uh, you know, charge these fees, and they would get all this money. So the, so the people hated them. They hated them. They left behind a lot of wreckage and messed up relationships behind them. And so Matthew is sitting at the table, facing Jesus, standing there in the doorway. And I just want to make sure it's still up there. He's standing in the doorway, and there's light around Jesus coming in. The other guys at the table are leaning away from Jesus back into the darkness. And you can see Matthew sitting there and leaning toward Jesus and the light. 
This inspired them so that the, song, the chorus goes, The Lord of the kingdoms burning bright. Brother, just lean into the light. Just lean into the light. I mean, this is, this is the light of Christ. That many of us, in order to have this new life that, that the Bible speaks of, is, means we have to lean into the light. To let the light of Christ wash over us. To let the light of Christ fill us so that the light of Christ can be seen in our lives. I invite you to pray. God, we thank you for uh, the light that you have provided. We thank you for the light that makes a difference, that gives life, that changes life. God, we embrace that light and pray that you would help us in living out that light in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.